0: Hi, folks, this is here from the com. <laughs> hey, we certainly appreciate you guys tuning in. Thanks for being here. I'm the sort of guy that thought the Beatles were actually a band of Beatles. Not like a band of musicians. So welcome to the show, guys. We certainly appreciate you guys tuning in. Go see all the wonderful groups. Tell your friends, neighbors to subscribe. Get them on the phone right now. Start messaging them on the DMs and social media. Don't don't send them uh, your nude pictures. Tell them, why don't you subscribe (laughs) to the Chris Voss Show? Go on there and uh, hit the bell notification button on YouTube.com, Fortress Chris Voss. Goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Voss. All the crap we're reading over there. It's not crap. Why did I say that? It's a horrible thing. My book's over there, it's crap. Uh but everyone else's books over there is awesome. So go over there and read and subscribe and whatever. I'm just I'm just improving myself into a hole at this point. Uh let's see if I can dig myself out. That's half the fun of the show. Uh go to all the groups, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. What will he do next? So we're excited to announce my new book is coming out. It's called Beacons of Leadership, Inspiring Lessons of Success in Business and Innovation. It's going to be coming out October 5th, 2021. And I'm really excited for you to get a chance to read this book. It's filled with a multitude of my insightful stories, lessons, my life, and experiences in leadership and character. I give you some of the secrets from my CEO Entrepreneur Toolbox that I use to scale my business success, innovate and build a multitude of companies. I've been a CEO for, uh, what is it, like uh, 33, 35 years now. We talk about leadership, the importance of leadership, how to become a great leader, and how anyone can become a great leader as well. Or order the book where refined books are sold. Today we have an amazing author on the show. His book is awesome too, I should mention, not crap, as opposed to my book you'll find on Goodreads. His book is coming out, I believe, let's see, tomorrow. Tomorrow. It's, it's hot off the presses. It's got that fresh print smell. You can still get high off of good arguments. How debate teaches us to listen and be heard by Bo Sale. Uh, Bo, do I have your name pronounced? pronounced so. There's so, a bit of a missed
1: opportunity oh, there, Chris. So, it could have been a bozo on the Chris Voss bozo,
0: show. The Chris Voss <laughs> show. Yeah, it definitely would have been awesome. I normally yeah. ask people that in the in the in the pre-show, the green room, but uh, we are having a little too much fun. So, fun. he you, he you are is going to be on the show talking to us about his amazing book and what's inside of it, what it all means. He is the two-time world champion debater and former coach of the Australian National Debating Team and the Harvard College Debating Union, one of the most recognized figures in the global debate community. He has won both the World School Debating Championship and the World's Universities Debating Championship. He's written for the New York Times, the Atlantic, CNN, and other publications. He has worked as a national reporter for the Australian Financial Review and has been a regular panelist on the primetime australian debate program the drum he has graduated from harvard university received a master's degree in public policy from a university that i cannot pronounce i'll let him tell me here in a second he is a jurist tingwa is that that, right he is current i I went to public school he is currently a (laughs) jurist doctor candidate at harvard law school which i clearly never went to welcome to the show bo how are you
1: Thank you so much, Chris. I feel like I should read a bio for you.
0: You know, my audience is sick of me. They've they've, they've had 12 years of this, and they they already know enough about me as it is. That's why we have guests on the show is because they don't want to hear anything more about me. Welcome to the show. Congratulations on the new book coming out tomorrow. Is this your first book? It's
1: my first book.
0: There Um, you go. Congratulations.
1: uh, Yeah, it's about to be out there, man. It's been been a number of years, and, and it comes to some kind of fruition tomorrow.
0: Now, you may may want to call up somebody who put this on there because it's the number one bestseller in search engine optimization.
1: (laughs) Did you notice that yet
0: on Amazon?
1: Did you see that? I think it must be because of my last name. Is that Uh, what it is? Oh, S-E-O. Yeah. But I'm happy. You take the Ws where you can get it. You take
0: the wins where you can. Mine's uh, number one and number uh one million or something i don't know <laughs> in being in the in below one million the top below one eh, Never mind that makes no sense so yeah. what to motivate oh give us your plugs so your dot coms where people can find you on the interwebs
1: please hello com. hello dot com. i'm into the rhyming thing and that's yeah. my handle on twitter and instagram also there you go so what motivated you want to write this book So I graduated, when I was graduating from college, right after I won the second world championships, Trump was elected president and we went through one of the most divisive kind of presidential cycles we'd seen in recent history. Really? Um, (laughs) <laughs> we might disagree about that too no no uh, it's, it's not i'm just, I'm just was there something
0: that went on the last five years that was kind of
1: crazy and then i and then i as you said in the intro i moved to china the year after that and and, and that was the start of the trade war between u.s and china mm. i went home back to australia and i covered an election that mirrored in some of the divisiveness and rancor what we had seen here in 2016 and i covered that as a political reporter. Mm-hmm. So it felt like everywhere i went there was disagreement and disagreement felt like a feature of our age and 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 in some ways the great challenge. Mm-hmm. And th- there've been all this, you know, amazing work kind of diagnosing the causes of that and thinking about the, you know, the structural reasons why it came about but not a whole lot said on what each of us might be able to do about it as citizens, as people in our private lives as well. And mm-hmm. I found myself looking back to this really formative period of my life when I was a competitive debater and a debate coach. And I wondered mm-hmm. whether this tradition and practice had something to say and, and some answers to provide at a time when... So many of our conversations are stuck, and when so many of the answers that we want seem to be outside our grasp. Um, there you go. So that's why I wrote the book. Yeah, and if you thought the
0: last five years were fun, wait till this week when the when the January sixth
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> airs it all out. Yeah, yeah. evidently it's uh, going to be quite the experience. Yeah, it's it seems so peaceful the last five to six years. I don't know. <laughs> wait. Was there a, was there a coronavirus? So so this is pretty good. So give us an arcing overview of the book, if you would, please. So
1: the book is in two parts. The first part talks you through and coaches readers through the basic elements of debate. And those are making an argument, understanding what a debate is about, how to respond to an argument, using language to bolster your case. There's chapters about knowing when to disagree and when to let something go. There's a chapter about learning to argue with bullies right mm. and, and the kinds of people who 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 go in with bad faith mm. and people like me and so the first part is kind of trying to illuminate what i describe as a sort of a physics of disagreement right mm. so these are regardless of what it is that we're actually talking about what are the dynamics that shape that discussion so there's a so it's talking people through that and then the second half applies it to some of the areas in, in our day to day lives where disagreements are really salient, that's in our personal lives, that's online, mm-hmm. and that's in education and schools. And so it kind of goes from right from understanding the very basics of debate, then being able to apply it. And it reads in some ways like a memoir because I wanted to take readers from knowing nothing or not knowing very little about competitive debate and and the kind of the the secrets and the wisdom that it contains to knowing quite a lot about it. And the other person that had to make that journey was me because I didn't know anything about it. And I thought by walking people through that kind of life journey, I could not only bring them into where it is I'm coming from and, you know, the limited perspective that I have, but also um, to try and take them on that kind of educational journey.
0: Does the book tell you when you stop debating and just punch people in the face?
1: I'm really not the person for that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, damn, the must be, That must be another book. So give us a little bit of your oranges story because you, you started this very early on and, and how did
1: debating become important to you? So I, I moved from South Korea where I was born to Australia when I was eight. And, mm-hmm the hardest part of making that move for me was real life conversation, kind of like Mm. what we're doing now, right? Because, and it's especially difficult when we're disagreeing because the passions are running, your facial expressions don't always match what you're saying because you're in the grips of something. And so I sort of decided, and I think this is something that a lot of kind of, people when they immigrate or when they're feeling sort of marginal do, which is just, they learn to be very agreeable. Right. And they learn to nod their heads and, and agree and, and keep Mm -hmm. your heads down essentially. Mm -hmm. But I sort of stumbled onto the debate team because it promised a very odd thing, which is when one person is speaking, no one else speaks. Right. And that idea that I could be heard in that way was so attractive to me. And once I got there, I saw that the kind of intimacy that I wanted, right, to, of friendships that I wanted, of being able to tell the truth about what I believe and to hear them respond and to be able to come back to that, um, I learned that that comes from disagreement, candid, honest, thoughtful disagreement, maybe more so than it does by just getting along. So I was kind of hooked and and I pursued that passion. I probably started when I was about 10 years old and and in some ways I've been going ever since.
0: Now you moved from South Korea to Australia, correct? That's right. Yeah. And so was your first debate when they tried to force you eat that nasty Vegemite crap? i give all my australian friends i have a whole mess of australian friends the nicest people in the world and i give them so much crap about yes
1: i mean it's the it's (laughs) uh it's a product that doesn't yield to reason
0: (laughs) there you go i like i like that analogy you know, in my later years, I really, I really love debate. I like watching debates. I probably should have been an attorney. I do like arguing, but I'm probably not a good yeah. debaterist of any quality. But I'm, I'm more prone to hit rather than arguing. But it feels like issues. a threat. No, I'm not threatening you. And I'm not. I'm and I'm not okay, I'm I don't want to debate you either. So uh, you are a champion. So I. <laughs> I'm not even going to win. I mean, this is one of the reasons I'm not married is because I don't like debating or I don't like people talking over me uh, and telling me what I should think. That's <laughs> a joke too. No, it's not. So anyway, you know, Christopher Hitchens is one of my favorite debaters. I love watching those debates where they sit down, they have rules and they and they have setups. I remember watching, oh, who's the great debater who did The Nation and then the African-American gentleman who debated him in the 60s or 50s, Fame. famous debate.
1: Baldwin and Buckley, maybe
0: Baldwin and Baldwin. Buckley. Yeah, yeah. We've had a few authors and on that have talked about that debate. I've oh, watched exactly. it. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful. And so I've always been, I've always been interested in in the you know you you watch the formality of it, the presentation of it, the rules and stuff like that. And and I, and I love watching those types of debate settings because at the end, you know, the audience kind of decides who wins. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah.
1: And 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 they're not. It's not a very involved. Infrastructure is it? It's actually very simple stuff. Just saying mm-hmm. when I'm talking, you're not talking and we roughly get to talk for an equal amount of time and we take turns, right? Those are, it's a kind of a soft infrastructure that, that creates a kind of a, an architecture really for how we, how we, how we, how we're, how we're doing this thing and. It's very adaptable to, to real life in my view and giving a little bit of thought, not only to what it is that we're saying, but how it is that we're interacting, right? And what the rules of that are. I think those are things that we've forgotten to be more thoughtful about, right? And it's Mm. not that, you know, one concern you might have about it is that it's artificial right? And you want conversation to be natural and so on. But as you say, when you actually watch those interactions, by giving people space in that way, by giving people an opportunity to be heard, you actually get the fullness of their character and of their views a little bit more than you would if you were just jumping on top of one and yelling and screaming. And, and I share that You're feeling exactly, Chris, like some of those very public debates and the spectacle of it. That's not something that debaters shy away from and that I don't shy away from in the book because it is the case that sometimes with these kinds of titles about having civil discussions and so on, sometimes it requires us to be like kind of little angels sitting around, you know, being perfectly virtuous, whereas we know that disagreement and debate involves things like spectacle, involves things like performance, involves things like the use of rhetoric to try and stir people's emotions. And those things need to be managed to some extent, and, and and they contain traces of darkness sometimes. But kind of a conversation without those elements is often a conversation without life in all of its complexities. And I think that's something that debate brings out and, and something that, that gives it a kind of a vitality.
0: Do you do you feel that we've lost that ability? Because I watch all these old college debates. You know, they go back hundreds of years, it seems. And, you know, now, and, and I we've had authors on that have talked about this and I've seen it myself, you know, now on college campuses, we have this shout-down movement, uh, this kind of woke stuff. And I'm a Democrat, moderate Democrat, so there's a part of my party that's into this stuff. And... And there's no debate. They're not allowed to debate sometimes. You can't even have comedians on, on college campuses anymore. And, of course, we have this whole thing with social media where, you know, everyone just argues and blocks each other. And, you know, there's, I don't know about all that. Yeah. Do you talk about any of this in your book, about
1: especially about social media, I guess? I mean, it certainly forms the, the background to the book. And I do get into social media in, in the last chapter about technology and we can talk a little bit about that. But the, you know, I'm not sure I would go all the way with you on the framing about the climate on campus. I, I just, you know, I was a reporter and I'm just now back at law school. So I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm back. I'm calling you now from the Harvard campus and. It's an odd time and it's a kind of a time of extremes because there are incidents, you know, no platforming and some of those incidents that you're describing. On the other hand, a university really is a kind of an ongoing conversation Mm -hmm. and there is a lot of debate and discussion in a way that I didn't just as a kind of a normal working person out in the world, didn't always get to experience. So I don't think it's a kind of a single, no single description kind of captures for me, the experience Mm -hmm. of of what it's like being on campus. But I would also say on some of those kind of the the chilling of debate, right. That a lot of people have, have expressed concern about. and, And you're talking a little bit about it, Chris, I think it has a little bit to do with the sense that our capacity to disagree well has eroded. And once you're no longer confident that by sitting across the table from one another, we can have a good discussion, a respectful discussion, then the impulse to want to shut it down or to shy away from it or to organize with people who already agree with us, now those options become a lot more attractive. Right? Mm-hmm. And so when we're talking about a kind of a loss, there are losses of shared values. There are losses of shared truths. Right, There are losses of shared institutions in some instances. And I'm not sure. My book obviously offers no single solution to any of those. But the place where I really want to make a contribution is We've also lost a shared set of skills mm-hmm. of how we disagree with one another, which used to be a kind of, it was seen as the basic requirement of citizenship. This is what people were taught in schools is rhetoric and oratory and debate so that you could participate right, in, in, in living with your fellow citizens and in governing yourselves right? This is what the founding fathers talked about in this country. So there is a loss of skills and with it, a loss of common faith in what disagreement can do for us, can do in our lives and can do in the lives that we share. And I am hoping to to invite a kind of a revival in that.
0: Yeah. And I, I, I wholly agree with what you said. I, 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 You know, I see that, like, you know, sometimes speakers can't even speak and they're being shouted down. I mean, I know there's – there's, I mean, sometimes there's real extremist people showing up, you know, somebody who wants to promote Nazism or something or something, you know, anti-Semitic stuff or something that's really out there. But, you know, sometimes it's just – it's almost like we move from a, a logical, reasonable style that people use in debate mm-hmm. – to an emotionalism like that just doesn't mean you feel good ah, and stuff. So I, I don't know. I, I just, when I see it on campuses, yeah. I see videos, I just go, wow, man. Like, like, I mean, in, in your case and in, in your field, what you guys do is you sit down, you have a reasonable, logical debate about it. And I, go ahead. I think I'm that's, sorry.
1: I mean, uh, yeah, no, no. I, <clears throat> um, I, 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 hear that. And I mean, one point where I might, just reframe it a little bit is on those two things. And it's obviously not a precise division between mm-hmm. emotional response and a rational response. But I think one thing that I believe and that, that I think is a really big part of debate is you wouldn't want a discussion without either of those. And mm. where one dominates completely and obliterates the other, that's often not going to be the richest conversation you've had, right? So if it's all emotion... It can be difficult if it's all reasoning, whatever that might be without the emotions, that's probably not as fruitful either. So the kinds of discussions that I think tend to be most useful, most enriching have elements of both, right? Of of presenting reasons in a way that's legible to the other side that they can engage with, but also has the kind of the candor and the personal engagement of being clear about where it is that you're coming from.
0: Yeah. I agree. So if I if I read the book or people get the book, I just was looking that it's on Audible so I'll probably be listening to it. The am I going to learn to be a better debater? Am I going to learn some of the techniques that you've uh, learned to be a champion?
1: For sure, for sure. I mean, I I you know, the second phase of my life after I've competed at the highest level was to coach right and mm-hmm. and and debate is a kind of a tradition that passes down through the generations right and and a lot of the wisdom that it contains about how to do things like making an argument and knowing what its actual parts are those are practices honed over many generations right mm-hmm. and so i'm certainly not uh the 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 strength of the ideas in this book don't owe to me completely. They're things that I was taught and and it, it's not even clear, you know, where it began because it was refined over many different um people's experiences and iterations of teaching. But it's certainly how I've taught a generation of students and I, I, I worked um hard in writing the book to try and put it in a form that would bring everybody to the highest level that I could kind of manage in with in within writing this book and and to apply in their daily lives, so my hope is it will teach everybody to disagree better in their private and their public lives and and through that, kind of as we were saying before, to regain a kind of a confidence in what disagreements can do for us at home, in our workplaces and in the public square
0: yeah. And we, we need more of that. I would totally agree with you. And this can be used in so many different formats. People think of this as just a, 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 well, if I'm in a college setting for debate or something like that, what are some formats where, you know, the ideas in your book and concepts can be used maybe in everyday life?
1: Definitely. I mean, so, you know, the one of the reasons why I think it's more accessible than perhaps other, other kind of bodies of knowledge is that we know children can learn to do it. <laughs> right so it's not you know a thing that requires enormous <laughs> background or something like that i i started when i was 10 and mm-hmm. but it's one of those things where with a lot of things that are worthwhile it's easy to get started but hard to master mm-hmm. you know and so it is kind of along that journey and so there are i think about it a lot for example the chapter about Learning when to when to quit disagreeing or learning which disagreements are worthwhile or not. Mm-hmm. Right. And I give a kind of a four-part checklist called the RISA checklist where you check whether the disagreement is real, it's important, it's specific, and the two sides are aligned. Right. Mm-hmm. Those kinds of insights onto the disagreements that tend to be worthwhile and those that tend to degenerate into something worse. I use that a lot in at home and in the disagreements that I have with, with romantic partners, with family. And so it sort of starts around the kitchen table for me. And then, you know, when I was working at the newspaper, I think so much of, and you might know this as an entrepreneur, Chris, like so much of the kind of work we're doing now is you're basically arguing in meetings, right? And mm-hmm. you're trying to persuade one another and you're trying to pitch and you're trying to make sure that your vision is the one that kind of carries the day. So there's obviously a huge, it plays a really significant role in the workplace. And you're seeing this um, in the most recent version of the Netflix culture deck. It's something like the more higher stakes a, disco- uh, a decision is, the more debate there's going to be, right? There's a kind of a one-to-one sort of correlation there. and 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 there are lots of other areas where I think it will be useful. But to go back to where we started, I think it's really needed in our lives as citizens as well. And yeah. the way in which we talk across political differences and try to, and, and to remind ourselves that the ways in which we talk to one another, the ways in which we persuade one another, that's also the way in which we govern ourselves in a democracy.
0: Yeah so uh, bob just wrote in he says uh, this isn't my question bob says will this help me win arguments
1: with i can't guarantee you're gonna win all of them <laughs> my guy <laughs> i can't uh but it sounds like and, it'll help uh, you format them better and know. and but what i what it has done for me is it has taught me to be more deliberate right about the kinds of disagreements that i have so i think i Having thought about it a lot, and you know, as a competitive debater, you think you're pretty good at this kind of thing. And you know, the sound the departing partner makes <laughs> as they <laughs> leave you is something like "you're debating me again." And so, I think you you learn. <laughs> so you learn the you learn the the strengths of the format, and you see its limitations too, right? Yeah. So I do think there are things that you know like laying out your your ideas in an organized way as you were saying before chris saying that just earnest belief Mm -hmm. and emotional commitment is not kind of enough sometimes Mm -hmm. right you you really want to engage positively with what they're saying but also seeing where the limits are that that i think is an important thing that debate brings to the table and and maybe the the most straightforward answer to the question is it's not so much that it will help you win any given argument but that it will allow that argument right to go from a potential source of division to a source of kind of progress and collaboration and sharing between the two partners and and you might lose the particular issue but as long as we are turning our disagreements into a force for I think that is also a that's also a win yeah I totally
0: agree with you in fact I just realized you you probably shouldn't put the fact that you're author of this book in your tinder profile because uh, (laughs) you're just you're just you're giving away the goods like everybody who's gonna ever meet you is just gonna be like oh man this this, I'm never gonna win a debate with this dude um so that's probably why it's it's an uphill the, battle. That's <laughs> probably why it's in the search engine optimization section of Amazon. I get it now. So yeah, I'm really interested in this because a lot of times on social media, I'll, I'll put up arguments and sometimes they, you know, I'll catch a lot of flack, and and then I'll develop it. And so I'll be like, okay, let me pull that down and let me readjust this. Sometimes delivery, you know, I'm I'm kind of known for being a little too harsh or sharp, if you will, and sometimes people can't get over the sharpness and you hear the delivery, but like you say, it's a skill. It really is. I like forming and playing with the, with an argument and, and, and going, you know, I love toying with the whole aspect of it. I probably should have been a debater. Probably, I probably wouldn't be good. Cause like I said, it always ends in violence, but that's the joke around here. Um, you talk about a few people that you cite in your book from Malcolm X and uh, artificial intelligence. Do you want to talk a little bit about how that's, uh,
1: plays in your book? Sure, sure. Maybe I'll I'll pick up on the artificial intelligence thing because it relates to kind of what you're saying about social media. So IBM developed as part of their, the same kind of tradition of projects that go back to Deep Blue, you know, the computer that played Garry Kasparov in chess and the Jeopardy champion that took on Ken Jennings. They decided to make a kind of a champion debater. And it faced off against a, a really fine debater, Harish, who was a contemporary of mine on the debate circuit. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I mean, the, the machine had extraordinary abilities, such as being able to pull out all the studies that favor its side of the case. Right. But ultimately, the audience watching thought Harish was more persuasive. And in particular, the kind of the human element Right. Of being able to respond empathetically to what the audience might need to hear at that time, being able to modulate voice and your use of words to change the kind of the climate in the room. Those are really essentially human skills. And I think those are things that really allowed them to the person, the human to to kind of prevail. And I worry a little bit about the ways in which our arguments online tend to make us more machine-like, you know? We use hashtags and we make our contributions very easy to kind of categorize and sort by algorithm, right? Mm -hmm. And so when I think a bit about social media and a lot of the same kind of ideas that you're saying there, Chris, there are... You know, one of the things that being a debater makes you really attuned to is the acoustics in a room... Mm. Right, and and how that and what's the environment in which this conversation is taking place and if in a debate room you have people with equal opportunity to talk and a guarantee that they're going to be heard social media is in some ways the opposite right, some conversations get privileged because they're the most incendiary mm. or you know, and it has <clears> a lot to do with the follower base that you already kind of have and so there is a kind of a debater's sensitivity to what conversation should be that I think helps us diagnose the ways in which disagreements online can be problematic and maybe more important for us to be able to insist on something better, Yeah. right? Once we have a sense of what it is that that makes for good disagreements, for good conversations to be able to insist on that. And debate is not the only lens through which we can make that kind of, do that kind of analysis. But I think it's an important one that hasn't really um, been in the conversation so far. And I'm hoping to bring that to the table.
0: I think I, I, I think it's a very welcome idea to the table to get back to those original things. You know, I mean, we're, we're at a point now where we're so lazy. Our debates sometimes are just tropes or memes, like you know? And half of them are, you know, they're being played by some manipulative a person who's, you know, the trope isn't real and it's either some racist based thing with some agenda or it's totally fake, you know, Johnny Depp, you know, I don't know. I can't make up anything off the top of my head right now, but you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. You know, there's those yeah. tropes that are out there that people love to pass around. And then you go on the, the trope verification sites like, uh, Snopes or whatever. And you know, you find out that 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 whatever that event was never happened but we're so lazy like that's what people's that's what people are arguing now they're just like i'm just gonna put up a meme and there you go i I just gave you the political discourse for the 20th century
1: (laughs) i think that's right i think that's right and and you know i i had a very similar thought about you know the memification of our discussions where and part of it as you say it may be a kind of an unwillingness to do the difficult work of argument Another might be, you know, we're so accustomed to kind of seeking out agreement, actually, right? So when we're reaching for slogans, it's not that we're even really disagreeing with the person in in front of us. It's often us saying that so we know the people on our side knows that we believe in the same things that they do, right? It's a kind of a rallying cry. And part of the work of debate, I think, and good, good arguments is to restore the primacy of the actual encounter between you and me, right? Mm-hmm. It's not you as representative of some, of some, some random group and me of, of something else because we, in the fullness of our humanity, are much richer than the Democratic Party or, you know or Libertarian or something like that because we contain a kind of richness that slogans and even affiliations can't. And when we interact, the richness multiplies in some ways because I say something, you respond, I have to say something back that's better than what I said. And together we're kind of progressing towards a deeper understanding than we otherwise might. And we can't do that if we stay on script and and repeat what has already kind of been planned out for us in some ways. Yes. Yes.
0: I'm gonna agree with you by holding up the clapping, slow clapping meme. So just, just.
1: I appreciate it. <laughs> I haven't read your book yet, It didn't so end I didn't too well that. for uh didn't end too well I for had to set that up.
0: That movie, it's a cheap setup. Up. <laughs> cheap joke setup by Chris Vaughan. We do a lot of cheap jokes on this show, keep people laughing. So I, I'm really I'm really interested in the book. I think it's gonna be amazing. I think it's something you know, people need to learn. And I, I have always been interested in building better stories and building better debates because i want to win them and beat other people without punching them because the judge says i can't do that anymore and i want to get that ankle bracelet off so there's that anything more you want to touch on or tease out about your book bo before we go i know i threw you with the ankle bracelet
1: (laughs) i did i'm just concerned more than anything (laughs) Uh, it's it's, it's a callback joke we
0: go too often
1: for me for me Chris, this, this is a time when it's very easy to shy away from disagreement, I think, you know, and actually on uh, I wince a little bit at all the punching jokes because I, I was in (laughs) Taekwondo as a kid and it was a way for me to kind of overcome real shyness and conflict aversion. And I couldn't even get through it because I was so conflict averse. So Mm. this kind of urge to run away from disagreement is not just a kind of political stance that I see out there in the world. It's something that all of us have inside us, right? Mm. And and in the kind of the, some of the stuff that you were talking about, no platforming and those kinds of things, that instinct is something I feel every day, right? Because Mm. no one really, very few people I think run towards disagreement, right? Mm. But The only thing that kind of shakes me away from that stance of aversion is a kind of a belief and really a kind of a lived experience that says disagreements can be something better, that it can be something more. But in order for us to do that, we do have to undergo a kind of an education. And and I like that you're saying consistently, Chris, there has to be work, there has to be learning, there has to be effort. And I suppose the last thought I'd just leave people with is my strong belief that that is a worthy thing to which to devote that kind of effort and that kind of work. There you go. There you go. And I figured out how to beat you in debate. I just bring up violence. what yeah. you get? I throw you off. <laughs> I throw you off the game. I think I mean, it's the bring jokes, up violence man. and
0: parole agents.
1: Yeah. So, uh, keep people on their toes.
0: I seriously doubt I'd ever beat you in yeah. a real debate, so let's make that clear. It's been wonderful to have you on the show, Bo, and and I really support your book. I just ordered it on uh, Audible, and, and I want people to check it out because learning debate more and, of course, learning debate prep more, too. Like, know, know what you're arguing about. It's like, it's so amazing to me how many people, you know, they just post, tro- post tropes or some spin they heard from some politician, or or maybe a non news source that claims to be a news source, and 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 they, they they put nothing behind it. And to me, I don't know. I'm different. I think you would look like an idiot if you quote stuff that isn't true. But you know what do I know? I am an idiot, and I look like an idiot, evidently. So there's that. Uh, but Bo, it's been wonderful to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on. Give us your dot com so people can find you on
1: the interwebs. Hello, Boso dot com. I enjoyed the conversation so much, Chris. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you. And we enjoyed having you as well. Thank you very much. Thanks, Moniz, for tuning in. Go to goodreads.com, for chess Chris Voss. Uh, hit the bell notification button on youtube.com, for chess Chris Voss. Order up the book, wherever fine books are sold. But remember, stay out of those alleyway bookstores because uh, you might need some tetanus shots after that. Or you might get mugged, one of the two. There's some violence there. Uh, good arguments. How to debate – or I'm sorry. How debate – teaches us to listen and be heard and we tried to do some of that on this show it comes out tomorrow so pre-order that baby and get it in your hands so you can enjoy it as well thanks for tuning in be good to each other stay safe and we'll see you guys next time